Good morning. I do this every time I'm up here. Good morning. Okay, I feel better now. Uh, as Andrew mentioned in, in introducing me, I have the opportunity uh, to serve on the deacon board, which I certainly count as a privilege uh, to serve in that capacity. And from time to time, Pastor Nate will call upon me in a teaching role, and this morning is one of those opportunities for me as well. Now, for those of you that have been following for the last three weeks, whether you've been here or doing it online, we conclude our series Masterpiece this morning. And if you haven't heard any of those messages, and I would suggest to you that even if you have heard them, that you might want to go back to the church's website, restorationchurch.cc, and listen to them again. Uh, they are powerful, and sometimes we're able to absorb only so much when we hear something for the first time. And because of the subject matter, talking about families, talking about creating a legacy and inheritance that can be passed on to generations, there's a, a huge amount of information that we can gather. So I'm suggesting that if you have the time or take the time to listen to those again. Now over the last week, I've had the opportunity, it certainly wasn't planned, uh, to spend more time reflecting on family, on its meaning, its importance. Uh, 10 days ago, on Thursday the 19th, I got a call in the evening from Brookside, I'm sorry, Brookdale, which is where my mother resides in Dover, New Hampshire. No, Dover, Delaware. Dover, Delaware. We're here in Dover, New Hampshire. Uh, and the call was that she had taken a fall. She's 88 years old. And she had hurt herself pretty much on one side of her body, and they were going to be taking her to the emergency room. And they wanted me to be aware of that. I'm the first point of contact. And I called the emergency room after a couple of hours because I hadn't heard anything. And they were still doing their intake, and she was there, and she was being as feisty and stubborn as she could be, uh, telling them that there was nothing wrong with her hip, they needed to take her back, she needed to get back to her own room to be able to sleep in her own bed. Uh, the nurse at the emergency room uh, confirmed for me that there was something that was broken, they just weren't sure exactly what, but they knew that she wasn't going home that night. Uh, next morning, I spoke to the doctor, who the orthopedist who was going to be doing the surgery, he had looked at all the films and told me that uh, there was a fracture, nothing else had been broken and that it was fairly routine surgery to make the correction that was going to be necessary. I then spoke with my mom, and we talked. She again was trying to convince me that I should convince them that they should just let her go back, that there was nothing wrong. And I told her that the doctor knew better. She reluctantly agreed with that. I told her that everything would be fine, that I'd be speaking to her when she came out of post-op recovery, and that was going to be later in the day. And then I told her that I loved her. Uh, later, in the early evening, I got a call from the surgeon who I had spoken to earlier in the day, and he told me that the surgery had gone okay, but there were complications. And you know, immediately your mind starts racing, what does that mean, complications? And he told me that they were, they were working on her in the OR and that he would get back to me. So now you're sitting there wondering what's up without having a whole lot of information. He did call me back. Uh, and I'm, I apologize in the first service, I'm going to apologize to you right now. All the time frames are kind of jumbled in my mind. But he did call me back, probably about an hour later, to tell me that uh, it was very serious. And I asked him the question that I really didn't want to have an answer to, and I said, okay, if you can tell me this, and if you choose to tell me, what are her chances of coming out of this? 
And he said 10%. Maureen, my wife and I, prayed. I, I had advised my sister of what was happening. And then I got a call telling me that after a, a heroic effort, in my opinion, by the medical team for over an hour in trying to bring her back, that she was gone. And um, what I realized was that, like that, things changed. That my mom, who I had been a son to for 68 plus years, was no longer here. And from, from a medical sense, she had passed away. From the sense within my heart and my spirit, I knew that the osteoarthritis, the osteoporosis, the osteo this and that that she had dealt with her entire life was not going to plague her anymore because she had gone home to be with the Lord. And that was a saving grace for me to know that she was with him. But I'm not going to lie to you, that didn't diminish the hurt or the pain of a sudden and unexpected loss of the person who brought me into this world. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And before I get into the, the substance of the message this morning, I want to encourage you, and, and I know we've all heard this before, especially when someone loses a loved one. Let's not take for granted the day that we have. Let's not take for granted the day that we're blessed with. Because we can make plans, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with planning and, and having a forecast for the future. All that's good, and, and we're supposed to be the, to doing that as responsible people. But we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And someone that's with us here today may not be there tomorrow. We're here today. We may not be here tomorrow. And in saying that, as we've talked these last few weeks about creating a masterpiece, creating a work of art, creating a legacy, an inheritance for our families to be able to carry on, either after we're gone or after our parents are gone or our grandparents are gone and coming down through the generations, it's easy to say to ourselves, yeah, that's a really big picture. You know what? That big picture comes one day at a time, and we're given one day at a time. And I encourage you to make the most of each one of those days because the regrets that I had, I, I sit and stand in peace because I know where my mom is. That doesn't mean that I don't have regret about some of the things I never said to her or that I could have said, or the thoughts that I had while I was waiting to hear from the surgeon and knowing that she hadn't gone in, and, and it crossed my mind. Call her again. Just talk to her one more time. I, and I didn't do that. Now, I'm not going to let that consume me with guilt, but I am going to let it consume me for the moment with hurt, because I had one more time to talk to her one more time, and I didn't do it. Don't be me in that situation. I have two questions for you this morning. The first is, if you're faced with the sudden loss of your parent, what memories will you have of your parent? And if you're a parent sitting here today of a child that's two, three, four, in high school, in college, out working, has a family of the own, maybe you're a grandparent, the question I would ask you is, what memories do you want them to have of you and your family life? Now, over the past three weeks, we've heard the word masterpiece used regularly. And Pastor Nate has chosen to use artwork. I'll be talking about something a little bit different in a minute. But I don't think we've actually had a definition of the word. So I've got two of them for you. The first is this. Masterpiece, a work done with extraordinary skill 
especially a supreme intellectual or artistic achievement. There are two words that jump out of that definition to me, extraordinary and supreme. Those are both superlatives. They're up here. So from a standpoint of knowing what God is enabling us to do within our families, it gives us a great obligation to be able to take that gift that he's given us and use it. The second definition is much simpler. Masterpiece, a person's greatest piece of work. Person's greatest piece of work. Now, over three weeks, Pastor Nate has been speaking about masterpiece and the creation. And he's talked about it from the standpoint of a painting, as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago. And behind me are paints and an easel and paper, brushes. The brushes that we're given, as he has addressed in, in the past three messages, and this is only some of them, are love, deliberate and purposeful work, repentance, forgiveness, grace, serving each other, quality time, commitment, valuing family. Those are brushes. When we choose to pick those up and utilize them, as any one of us has the capacity to do, then we're part of creating that masterpiece. Now, when I was a kid growing up, we had color by number. I don't even know if they still have that out there, but it was real easy. You didn't have to be good at it. All you had to do was stay inside the lines. Life is not coloring inside the numbers. When I was a kid, they didn't have erasable paint that you could just wash off. So when I took my paints and put them on the wall, I got into a peck of trouble, whereas now you can take paint, paint something, nah, I don't like it, make it go away. That's not what life is all about. When we paint that picture of our lives and our family's lives, it becomes indelible. And when we put good things on canvas, they become part of our legacy. When we put things that we would rather not have on the canvas, they're still part of that canvas. But we have the opportunity through our lives to make that right as well. As said, Pastor Nate seemed to have a, a real kick on art. I was an English major in college, among other majors that I was, and I'm really prone to go towards literature. So I want to talk about some masterpieces in the world of literature with you this morning. Some of these I'm sure you have heard of. Gone with the Wind, which was Margaret Mitchell's epic novel set in the Civil War and later became an Academy Award-winning movie in the late 30s. It took Margaret Mitchell 10 years to write one book. Everybody's familiar with Lord of the Rings, one of Tolkien's tri trilogy. Lord of the Rings took Tolkien 16 years to write. Again, one book, 16 years. Michael Crichton, who is most well-known for Jurassic Park, wrote another book, which I have not read. It's called The Dome, I'm sorry, The Sphere. Between his research and actual writing of that book, it was 20 years that he invested of his life in creating one piece of literature. And I'm partial to the next one only because it was mandatory reading in English 101 at Temple University, and that was by Walt Whitman. And that book was an anthology called Leaves of Grass. It was first published in 1855 with 12 poems in it. Whitman apologized to his readers when it first came out because he wasn't satisfied with the work that he did. He was so dissatisfied that he kept working on it for the next 36 years. The last edition was published in uh, 1891, 
36 after the, years after the first publishing, and he apologized again, saying that it was still an incomplete work and he wasn't happy with it. 36 years, 16 years, 15 years, 10 years, how much time are we given in authoring our masterpiece, in creating our masterpiece? Now, some of you know that uh, my story, I'm the father of three children, two of whom I've raised in my household, and a daughter that was born the day after my 18th birthday and was then placed for adoption. Uh, my re recollection of her is the 30 seconds that I got to see the top of her head when she was in the hospital and prior to us uh, putting her up for adoption. But I have a daughter who's going to be 40 in, Jan in July, and I have a son who is celebrating his 38th birthday today. And when I think about the two of them, and I think about the legacy that I'm leaving, the legacy that my mother, who passed away last week, left to me and to them, I think about perfection, and I think about imperfection. If I stood here today and told you that as a parent I didn't make any mistakes, then I would be totally discredited with anything else I told you, because you know that wouldn't be true. And it's easy for me to say that. It's hard for me to recall and, and be at peace with some of the things that, that I did in terms of the mistakes that I made. But I recognize this. I never, ever thought that I was there, and I never, ever thought that there wasn't more to do, because I always saw those imperfections. And just like an artist, just like a writer, just like a musician who's trying to compose a piece, those imperfections will stand out the more everything else is good. The pieces that aren't right, the pieces that need work, the pieces that need to be addressed will jump out in contrast to everything that's right. And when we talk about our families as being a masterpiece and a legacy, then we need to be thinking about what is it that we're doing, not the big picture, but the small little things that we do or don't do on a daily basis. And I got to tell you that when it comes down to difficult times, if you want to know whether or not you've been successful by God's standard, not by man's standard, in what you've done with your family, and how you've raised them, and how you've related to them, and how you interact with each other. When you have a difficult time, and you're hurting, and you see your family come together as one, it's not just because they're sharing a common loss. It's because of that bond that's been built over years. And that's something that we all want. And I will tell you very clearly that it's solely God's relationship with us that's mirrored in our families. His acceptance of us, his love for us, his healing of our hearts is exactly what we have the capacity to do within our families. And when we do that, that picture gets brighter, sharper, and just a lot stronger in terms of the power and the magnitude that it carries. In 1974, long before some of you were ever born, there was a song written by an artist named Harry Chapin. Uh, they still play it occasionally. It's called Cats in the Cradle. And I didn't sing it in the first service. I'm not going to sing it here, which is better for all of us. But Yeah, you're right. But <laughs> I am going to share these words with you. And I want you to really let them sink in. Because it's not just a song. There's a message here. It starts with, my child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. 
And he was talking before I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. And the chorus goes like this. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed and said, I'm going to be like him. You know I'm going to be like him. Well, he came from college just the other day. So much like a man, I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? Then the chorus has a little bit of a change to it. The cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, son? I don't know when. But we'll get together then, Dad. You know we'll have a good time then. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. See, my new job's a hassle, and the kids have the flu. But it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. Now, that song is about a father and his son. He could just as easily be about any parent and any child. It's a song of loss, it's a song of regret, it's a song of sadness, it's a song of emptiness. It's not a very uplifting tune. But what's the message there? I heard that song, 1974, when it, was, when it came out, and went to number one on the charts. I had known the Lord for one year, wasn't raising any children. It would be four years before my daughter was born and six before my son was born. But I truly believe this, and I say this to you with all my heart. I really believe God imprinted that song on my heart, my head, my spirit. Because what he said to me was, you never want to be that guy. You never want to be the one to say you didn't have time. You don't want to be the one to hear from your own children. They don't have time. And every one of us, Every single one of us who's a parent, who's a grandparent, if you're a child now and you're someday going to be a parent, or you're a child now, which means you have parents if they're still here. This all ties together in such a neat little package. We've talked about over these last few weeks what those brush strokes are. And I've got to tell you that recognizing, number one, that families, like artwork, like books, like music, take effort. We can't just say it's going to happen. And without sounding sacrilegious up here this morning, we can't just pray and say, okay, Lord, make it happen. We have a commitment to one another within our families that is so strong, so important, to be able to take that in the creation of a masterpiece. No different than if Picasso took his, his brushes, took his paint, took his canvas, and said, okay, appear. Let there be this tremendous work of art, a masterpiece. Or any of those authors I mentioned took their pen or, their, or now on a computer, put the keyboard out there, and just said, okay, book, appear. Why would we expect any different for our families? Why would we expect things to just work out 
Can they just work out? Yeah, sure, for a little bit, until the storms come and the winds come and things come against us. And then what's there to hold us together? What's there to be able to walk in the love and strength and conviction of knowing that we're there together? I speak with my son and daughter, and this, look, this isn't just about me. I'm just trying to use myself as an example because I think I'm very blessed. My kids are late 30s, 40s, and we talk minimum of once a week, sometimes two to three times a week, and it's not because one of us is doing all the calling. I'll call them. They'll call me. When they have a, a decision to make, a change in jobs, something that's going on in their lives that's really, really challenging, they'll call and I'll ask my advice. Do you know how that makes me feel? It's not just being proud. It's knowing that I'm being honored because they respect me as, as a dad, as a man, my judgment. They want to hear what I have to say. And I reciprocate because they've been through life experiences I've never had. And there are things that I'm dealing with. And I'm just not sure. And Laureen and I will talk and pray, and I know they're there for me. That, to me, is part of the artwork that's been created within my family. And I truly believe that's what God wants for all of us, to be able to have that, that bond that's between us that's so strong that even when the wind comes against us, we might shake, we might get ruffled a little bit, but it's not going to pull us apart. Two authors, John Trent and Gary Smalley, wrote a book a number of years ago. It's been reissued with updates since that original publication. It's called The Blessing. And the book is based on a foundational truth of Scripture in the Old Testament. And for, for those of us that are familiar with it, or if you're not, one of the traditions, and it was more than tradition, it was a rite of passage, is that the father of a family would give his blessing to the eldest son. And that blessing carried with it significant meaning. It would carry with it the transfer of wealth. It would carry with it the transfer of spiritual responsibility, obligation. It was huge to receive that blessing. Well, I'm not suggesting that we as parents or as children of parents are looking at a blessing the same way. But there are five points in this book that I think speak very clearly to how we can bless within our families. The first of those is demonstrating love and affection through caring touch. Now, I mentioned in the first service that if you know my wife, Laureen, she's a hugger. And she hugs because she loves people. She'll just grab you. If it's the first time through the door she meets you, it's handshake first, hug second. That's, that's who she is. But she's demonstrating her outreach and love for people in doing that. I shared a story before, and I'm going to do it again, about the power of touch. In 1995, in a hospital in Worcester, Massachusetts, a pair of twins were born, and they ended up in the neonatal ICU. They were 12 weeks early. Each of them weighed roughly two pounds. And for the first three weeks, everything appeared to be going very well. Then something turned tragically wrong. One of the twins was doing fine. The other, however, had a heart rate that skyrocketed the oxygen levels in the baby's blood started to drop significantly. The parents were told that there didn't seem to be a lot of hope for that one daughter. And then what I believe was an act of God in speaking to one of the nurses. She asked the doctor if it would be okay, and he had to check with the family, if they took the healthy daughter and put her in the same incubator 
with her sister who was failing. Now, up until that time in 1995, that had never been done in the United States, ever. It had been done in Europe, but it just wasn't something that was practiced here. Everyone agreed, and I encourage you to look up a picture. You can Google it. There's actually a, a number of YouTube videos on the rescuing hug. And this was not staged. There just happened to be a newspaper man doing a story on the family who was there when this happened. The healthy daughter, the healthy sister, left arm goes over and hugs her sister. Immediately, oxygen levels changed, heart rate came down. The two girls today are 22 years old. The doctors were certain that the power of that touch was part of the healing of that little infant. What does that say to us? What does that say when our little kids come up and all they want is some attention from us? What does that say for us as older kids when we're in the presence of our parents or our grandparents and they want to hug all over us? I remember my grandmother, Jewish grandmother in Brooklyn. There's nobody that hugs better than them. When you're 8, 9, 10, you know what you think about that? Please don't do that to me. Just, you know, stay away. Well, it's taken me a long time to figure out that demonstration of love, that demonstration of caring. I wish I could hug my mom one more time. And I will. Just won't be here. But the power of that touch is so intense. My, my son, to this day, 38 years old today, not ashamed to kiss his father in public. That's huge. I wouldn't have done that when I was that age with my dad. My dad and I didn't hug until I was probably 38 years old. First time that I can remember in my life. I was in my late 30s. Comes from an Asian culture. You don't do that. What power is in that? That hug shares caring, it shares love, and it shows so, shares so much more, as was demonstrated in Worcester, Mass. in 1995. It can share healing. The second point is this. Unconditional love spoken in our words. You ever figured out that the words we speak are a direct translation of what we feel? All you've got to do is cut somebody off on the spalding and whether you can hear them or read their lips, you know that what they're saying is a direct translation of how they're feeling at that moment. And it's not good. And we can, we can laugh at that except if we're in the middle of the moment and then maybe we're thinking something in return. But how does this work in a family? If we're creating a masterpiece and we want perfection or as close as we can get to it, well, the words that we speak to each other, to our children, when it comes out of emotion, they could be the wrong words. All you have to do one time is tell a child that they're stupid. One time. And if you think that goes away, think about what people said to you when you were growing up, family or otherwise. Some of those things come back and come back, come back, because they're there. Those unconditional love words are critical in building up the character and the heart of a child. The same way that I don't care how old you are, I don't know if I'm the oldest person in the room right now or not, but let's just say that I am. It still matters to me if somebody says something that's hurtful. They're angry, they're frustrated, whatever. It happens. But we're wise enough to know that that's not where we need to be. 
The book of James, first chapter, verses 19 through 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. I never like to edit scripture, but I'm going to edit it right now and say this. What that says, that we have to recognize that when we speak, one of the objectives of that is not just to communicate. It's to spread the righteousness of God. And if we're going to speak within our families and we're going to spread that righteousness, then we want to make sure that we measure our words, even, even when our emotions are running wild. Pull those back before we speak because we don't know the damage we can do, and conversely, the words that we speak can build up and edify and support and help someone to grow, whether they're three years old or whether they're 70 years old. Point number three. Let your words spoken or written be of high value, letting our children know their worth to us and their worth to God. The next scripture verse comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it might give grace to those who hear. High-value words, giving grace. Those of us that walk with the Lord know that his grace is sufficient for us. It gets us through every situation. Our words are supposed to bring grace into the lives of our family members. Pull this all back. Pull it back to that canvas. Pull it back to the book. Pull it back to a sheet of music. We're creating. We just don't realize it because we're living in the moment. If we could step back, and believe me, that's what I did last week. I stepped back for a while, and I just had this whole panorama of my life with my mother. And I looked at the good stuff, and I looked at the stuff that wasn't so good. And when I, what I saw at the end of it all was a woman who lived her life on earth and gave of herself to so many other people that when she left this earth, all those people came together to celebrate her life. Isn't that what we want for our families? Isn't that what God's calling us to for our families? Point number four. Let them know they're destined for greatness. Now, I'm going to tell you what that doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean that 10 years from now, when Tom Brady finally decides to retire as the quarterback of the Patriots, that you're going to tell your child, oh, you're going to be a superstar. You're going to replace Tom Brady. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that they're going to walk down the runway in some big event somewhere and people are going to be snapping pictures and want their autograph. That's not what it means. To be destined for greatness means that God has planted in each one of us abilities and gifts and talents Sometimes we recognize those. Sometimes we don't even know we have them. But he's planted them there. And when we see that in our children, our grandchildren, or when our parents see them in us, we need to be supportive of that. We need to tell them that God has a purpose for their life, that God has destined them for his greatness. And you may not think that you're living a life of greatness, but I want to tell you that every single day that you interact with anybody, and you have the opportunity to make a difference in their life, that's an act of greatness. And that's something that God has planted in each one of us. Use that. Build it up in your kids. Build it up in your grandkids. And no matter how old your parents are, when they tell you how wonderful you are, just don't think that they're telling that because they're your mom or dad. They see things in us that we don't see in ourselves. They see things in us that God has placed in us 
Those are important to remember. They're important to be able to use and certainly to be able to build up in others. The fifth of these points is show them your unconditional commitment to loving them. Love them in their imperfection as you ask them to love you in yours. Essentially what you're saying to them, I'm there for you no matter what. And that covers a lot of territory, no matter what. Because it may be something that we think is really small. You know, so I got mad because my mother wouldn't give me 10 cents for the guy that coming down the street with the ice cream truck. It was 10 cents back then. So I decided to get her attention by throwing a rock through the window. I got her attention. That was a small thing. Did she love me through that? Yeah, she loved me in the discipline that she gave me. But she was correcting me and loving me to let me know that there are certain things that are acceptable in life and there are certain things that aren't. And she also taught me, you're not always going to get what you want when you want it. Did I understand that when I was back there? No. You know when that came back to me? Last week. And I realized that what I thought was her just being deaf to my needs was teaching me a life lesson. Unconditional commitment. What does God offer us? God offers us unconditional love. I'm not going to measure it by you. I'll measure it by me. If God's love for me was dependent upon me, I don't think I'd receive it. But God's love for me is dependent upon his capacity to love everybody without any condition, without any rules, without any measurements. All you have to do is just say, Lord, I'm yours. Can we do that? Can we commit to that in our families? If we're going to create the masterpiece that we've been hearing about and hearing about and hearing about, hearing about it's one thing. Doing it's something quite different. Band's going to work their way up here. And as they do, I have another verse for you. It's from Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. It was written by the Apostle Paul. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That is the core of how we build a masterpiece. If we can operate in humility and gentleness, being patient, bearing one another, that means taking on one another no matter what, in love, with a desire to maintain the unity of the Holy Spirit and a bond of peace, then regardless of the waves, regardless of the disagreements, regardless of the discipline, regardless, 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 regardless of all that stuff, which is part of life and part of growing up, part of being part of a family, regardless of all of that, we can come together and be able to step back at the end of someone's life or near the end of our own and say, you know what? It's good. It's really, really good. I have a story I want to tell you about my son. My son, who I, <laughs> when he was born, I had hoped and prayed that when I had a son that he would follow in my footsteps and he'd want to play baseball for half his life. He didn't like baseball. He liked hockey. So he wanted to be a hockey player. Uh, in the first service, I know there were some hockey parents because when I shared what I'm about to share, I got the reaction that I would expect. Uh, when I moved to Delaware with my family, my son was 13 years old. He had been playing for a little bit. I said, I don't care, Keith, where we've got to go, you're going to play hockey because Delaware ice hockey is not a big deal. 
and we found a rink and a league that was an hour and a half away. And then he made a travel team, which meant that somewhere between three and five nights a week, we were traveling an hour and a half each way for either practice or games, or on weekends further because he was on the travel team. And one thing about hockey players, when they live that far away and it's a school night, you want to get them back home at a reasonable hour, 10, 11, so that they can go to sleep. And so in order to do that, they don't shower after practice or after the game, they just jump in your car. And here's what happens in the middle of winter when a sweaty, really foul odor hockey player jumps in your car. You can't see a blessed thing because the entire window fogs up immediately. Add to that all the equipment that he just took off is in the bag that he throws in the back of the car. I don't care how much of that, whatever it is, Febreze or you have, it, it, it doesn't work. You cannot overcome that odor. So that's what we dealt with for almost five years going back and forth. And it was great times for us because we had a lot of good talks, a lot of fun, a lot of bonding, dad and son. But we were coming back one evening and for some reason he was really mouthy. And I don't know if it was something on the ice. I can't remember what caused it. But we were going back and forth and I felt like he was being disrespectful. We were a mile away from home and I told him to get out of the car. And he looked at me like, I said, yeah, get out walk home. I pulled back a little bit. I stopped. I said, oh, your bag's here. Take that too. Now, was I being loving and compassionate and understanding? No, he was being disrespectful and, and that needed its attention, but how I handled it, not the greatest. I drew back a little bit. He walked home. I followed him at a distance just to make sure he got there safely. I wasn't totally irresponsible. 20 years of remembering that. I can't remember what it was that caused it. I can't remember exactly what we said, but I know exactly what I did, and I know what he did. And 20 years I carried that, and so did he. And I don't know what prompted me, but something in my heart, my spirit said to me, you know what? You need to ask his forgiveness. Part of creating a masterpiece is being able to humble ourselves before God and before others. And that may be before our parents, that may be before our children, but it's before somebody. And I asked him for his forgiveness. And he said that I remember that. I don't remember what we were arguing about either. And he gave me that forgiveness. So when I tell you that I'm close with my kids, not an accident and we've had we've had other situations but we're close because we're working and we're still working at it and what my encouragement to you today is is that please continue to work at it please recognize the importance of the moment that you're given the day that you're given the opportunity that you have to be able to reach out to those that you love up down as a child to a parent as a parent to a child. God is gracious. He can heal. He forgives. Can we forgive? He forgets. Can we forget? Can we get past those things that we don't necessarily like or, or agree with? You know, it's a funny thing. When my mom passed, as I said, a lot of thoughts went through my head. But I didn't remember all the bad stuff. What I started remembering are the things that were special and fun. 
that I don't think I had thanked her for in a long time. Don't sit there and be me. Cherish the moments, cherish the days. God gives them to us. And remember this. We get one time to go around. And we have the capacity in his power, in his strength, to get it right. And even if it's not right now, it can be made right. I want to pray. And as I do, I just want you to remember these last four weeks. And that you're all artists in some capacity. You're all creating. And you're all part of a creation. And 100 years from now, or 200 years from now, or 1,000 years from now, however long it's going to be, you know, people may not remember your name specifically, but the work that you created is going to be remembered and handed down and handed down and handed down. And it will make a difference. Father, as we close this afternoon, Lord, we ask you, God, to work through us and with us. Whether we're a parent, a grandparent, whether we're a parent to be, or we're still looking at our parents because we're, we're children at whatever the age. God, each one of us can look to you for the wisdom, the compassion, the love, the understanding, all the things that we need to live our lives skillfully in creating the masterpiece of our family and our life. God, I thank you that you give us opportunity after opportunity to get it right. You don't judge us. You don't criticize us. You love us. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us will take that love, and that's what we'll be showing to those that we call family. And, Lord, because I know that that can't be done without you, I simply ask this morning if there's anyone here today who's struggling whether to allow you into their life or not. And if that's you, it's as simple as this. And I ran from God for a long time. But when I finally came to the realization that I couldn't do it on my own, it was really simple. All I had to do, and it's what I was asked you to do, would be, Lord, I know that I can't make it on my own. And I know that you, Lord, gave your life to be able to pay for my sin and my failure so that I could live in victory and I could be part of creating an amazing masterpiece, a work of art within a family. And I ask you, God, right now to come into my heart, my spirit, as I call you, Lord. Amen. I began by asking you two questions. What memories would you have at the loss of a parent? And what memories did you want for your descendants, your children, your grandchildren? I want to leave you with two different questions. The first is, are you able to look at yourself and say that you're consistently and diligently doing the things that are necessary and working day by day in the creation of what you will be able to call your masterpiece. And the second question is this. Are you willing to humble yourself, admitting that you don't have every answer, and allow the Lord to teach you, to guide you, 
would be right there with you in the creation of that amazing work of art. Please ask yourself those questions. And if you struggle with the answer, the Lord's there to help you with it.